You're listening to The Semi-Filled Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and of course, my failures. Hello friends, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time out to join me today. I'm still in a bit of an Oscars bug. The ceremony took place last week, and I think we're all aware of how it went down. I'm not going to get into details about that, but it got me thinking. I made a huge effort into watching all of the nominees for Best Picture this year, but if I do a look back to 2020, it turns out I have not watched a single nominee from that year. Ford vs. Ferrari? Nope. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Nah, it's too long. 1917? No, but it is on my watch list. But the one film I've been most eager to watch is the winner of the whole thing, Parasite. And that's the subject of today's film review. A couple of things before I get started. I don't mean to disrespect the Korean culture, but I might have a rough time pronouncing all of these names of the cast and characters. I'm going to try my very best to get it right and to make it clear who I'm referring to. The second thing. This review will be different from the others. The other films I've chosen for reviews, they've been some of my favorites over the years. I've watched them more than once and have picked up a lot of details each time. I've only watched Parasite the one time. Maybe over time I'll be able to better process this film, but for now, I'll give you my initial thoughts. Let's get into it. Parasite follows the Kim family. They live in squalor and have a difficult time in earning enough money to pay for the most basic of needs. The son of Ki-woo is referred for a job as an English tutor, but must pretend to be an exceptional college student. He gets the job and discovers his employers, the Park family, are extremely wealthy and have an incredible house. Ki-woo encourages his sister, Ki-jong, to pose as an art therapist and get a job with the Parks. Enamored with the lifestyle, they ask themselves, why not bring the rest of the family in here? The children sabotage the Parks driver and maid and get them fired. They are replaced by two, quote, highly qualified individuals, Ki-woo and Ki-jung's parents. The Kim family does well in their new jobs and in keeping up their ruse, but there is one secret within the park house that could undermine their upward mobility. Parasite was released in 2019, written by Bong Joon-ho and Jin Won-han, and directed by Bong. The film stars Kang Ho-san, Sun Kyun Lee, Yo Jiang Cho, Wu Sik Choi, So Dan Park, Lee Jung Un, and Hai Jin Jang. <sighs> also known as I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most people who listen to this podcast are American and don't follow South Korean cinema or K-dramas. If you do, please let me know. I could tell you about some of the actors' biggest credits, but you would have no idea what I was talking about. Also, I don't believe any of them have crossed over to American cinema, so for this segment, the only person I will mention is the director, Bong Joon-ho. He's the only one, as far as I know, that has some exposure to American audiences. First off, he wrote and directed Snowpiercer, which was released in 2013. It's not technically an American production, but there were a lot of recognizable American actors cast in this film. Also, Song Kang-ho, the Kim patriarch, he also stars in the film. There's also the TV adaptation of Snowpiercer, which is based on the movie, but Bong has no involvement in the show. Personally, I'd recommend watching the movie if you haven't seen it yet. There are some flaws, but it's another film that has compelling commentary on Class Divide. Also, ladies, Chris Evans is in this. Go watch it. 
And in 2017, Bong wrote and directed Okja, which was a co-production between South Korea and the United States. This one was distributed by Netflix, so you can check that one out if you have the chance. Heroes and Villains You know, there are no clear heroes or villains. Pretty much everyone here, with the exception of the park's first driver and maybe their children, they're all sympathetic characters who are also deeply flawed. Let's start with the Kim family. Before meeting the Parks, they couldn't even do the simplest of tasks, such as folding pizza boxes. They're all con artists and pretend to not be related to each other. They ruin the lives of two seemingly decent people in order to infiltrate the Park house. They murder three people. Two of them you can argue it was self-defense, but one was definitely out of pure anger. However, they're a close-knit family. You see how bad their living condition is, so you're led to believe their deception is okay. What other choice do they have? Also, they don't hate the Parks, not initially. They don't wish ill on them. They try to be good at their jobs and avoid biting the hand that feeds them. Now to the Park family. They treat their employees well. The patriarch Dong-ik is not a part of an evil corporation and cares about his family's happiness. But they are gullible and oblivious. They do discriminate against the lower class, but in a very subtle way. They comment on the smell of the Kim family. They add the most expensive meat on the planet to the cheapest noodles on the planet. They also show an interest in Native American culture, but only on a surface level. When it really comes down to it, they don't care about their employees personally. They care about what they can do for them. Here's an example. When Dasong suffers his second seizure, it's very alliterative, uh, Ki Jung is also injured. Her father tends to her, yet Dong Ig is ordering him to drive them to the hospital. Yes, he does have to think of his son before anyone else, but there is no regard for Ki Jung, the help. I also want to mention Moon Guang, the park's first maid, and her husband, Gyung Se. They suck too, maybe a little less. Their only fault is having the husband hide in a secret bunker to avoid loan sharks. But Moon gets the worst treatment. She gets severe allergic reactions to peaches, and she gets pushed down a set of stairs. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the punishment doesn't fit the crime. So then this raises the question, is there anyone here that is the villain? Not really, despite the bad behavior. So who is the villain then? I think it's not an individual, but a system. Late-stage capitalism. It's what allows a family like the Parks to be out of touch with reality, and it allows a family like the Kims to be stuck in an impoverished community with no feasible way out. So, what happened to you, man? I don't have a story about any of the real-life cast and crew that fell off the face of the Earth, so what I'm going to do here is just hypothesize what happened to some of the characters at the end of the film. First off, what happened to Yoon, the Parks' first driver? I don't think his reputation got ruined, but his career may have suffered when word got out he no longer works for the Park family. Before he gets fired, there's a scene where the Kim family is eating a meal alongside a bunch of drivers, so maybe this suggests Yoon's fate. He might be driving a charter bus, or working for a limo service that shuttles people to a wedding, or whatever the Korean equivalent of a prom is. A definite downgrade. So what happened to the rest of the Park family? 
We do know that they moved out of that house, and I think the son, the Song, survived that seizure. I'm thinking Young Kyo has surviving relatives that she's now staying with. I'm also assuming that her husband owned his company, so she's become the benefactor and decides to sell it. And after what happened, she's not going to trust anybody and won't hire any more help. She's going to have to figure out how to do everything on her own. As for the Park kids, I don't know how the events affected Dahai. Maybe she still loves Ki-woo even though he deceived her family. But she gets moved away and can't have any contact with him. I feel like throughout most of this film, she was the only one in that family who wasn't happy with her situation. Despite losing her father and having her whole life upended, maybe she turns out alright at the end. She'll be traumatized, but she'll go off to college, get a job and or get married. She'll be fine. She'll thrive even. That's what I hope for her. As for Desong, he recovered from that first seizure, but maybe not the second. He might be relieved that his ghost was actually a real person that has perished, but then that might scare him more knowing that he leaves behind a spirit that would come after him. He's got a long road to recovery, even if you throw a lot of money at the problem. And finally, what happened to Min? If you recall, he was Kiwoo's friend that originally tutored Dahai. He had to travel abroad and referred Kiwoo to the tutoring job. Imagine his reaction when he returns. He won't be negatively affected by the losses suffered by both the Park and Kim family, but I'm certain that he'll no longer be friends with Kiwoo. He'll be hurt to know that the entire Kim family deceived the Parks, but I think he'll be particularly pissed when he finds out that Kiwoo went after his girl. He didn't follow the sacred rule, bros before hoes. Let's discuss the soundtrack. I'll talk briefly on this. The score was written by South Korean composer Jung Jae-il. I had to listen to it again because I couldn't clearly remember how it influenced the movie, but it's mostly made up of piano and light instrumentation. There are also some excerpts from Handel's Rodolinda and Gianni Morandi's In Ginocchio Date, for all you music nerds. But I think if you didn't know the names of the songs, you'd recognize them when you hear them. This was a lovely score. It's so mischievous, which is very fitting to what the Kim family was trying to do. There is one original song in this movie which is played in the ending credits. It's called A Glass of Soju, which is written by Bong Joon-ho and performed by the actor who plays Ki-woo. I'll talk about that song a little more in another segment. But that's all I can say about that. No songs with problematic lyrics or anything like that. Best scene and worst scene. I'll be honest, there are a lot of scenes that I really liked, but I think what stands out is a particular camera shot. There's a scene where the Kim family has the park house all to themselves, and they help themselves to all the food and expensive alcohol in the house. It's cool that they chose to eat at the giant coffee table in the living room and not at the dining table, which of course shows the contrast between the two families. But at the beginning of the scene, they raise a glass of what I believe is whiskey, and then the camera shows their view of the front lawn. They have this wall made up entirely of glass, and outside is this well-maintained lawn and trees, and it's dark and rainy. And at that moment, I was thinking, this is the life. I would love to have that experience for myself. There are all of these other moments where you wish you could have wealth like the Park family, with the giant walk-in closet and having people drive for you and cook for you. 
And there are other amazing shots, a lot of which was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock. But the moment that touched my soul came when the Kim family wore comfortable clothing, ate junk food, drank whiskey, and got a beautiful view of the front lawn on a rainy night. As you can tell, I, I don't ask for much. For the worst scene, I'll bring up two things. Eric watched this movie with me, and one of his biggest critiques was that it took a long time for the real action to take place. Half of the movie was about the Kim family slowly making their way into the park house, and it was an entertaining sequence, and everything kept moving forward at a good pace. But we were waiting for the complication, and it took a while to get there. So it's not necessarily a scene, but a sequence that maybe could have been trimmed a little. For my worst scene, I would say it's the final scene of the movie. On one hand, it was the most heartbreaking and emotional scene, but on the other hand, I had one small issue with it. Let's recap. At first, it's Ki Taik and Ki Woo writing a letter to each other, and you see a sequence of events play out. And then Ki Woo declares he's going to make a lot of money to buy the house, and there's a clip where he ends up getting the house and is able to set his dad free. At that point, it didn't seem plausible, but I was thinking... I'll buy it. I'll take the happy ending. Then we return to Ki Woo's cramped up home and realize that it's only a dream and it'll probably never happen. It would take luck, not hard work, to make the amount of money needed to get that house. Also, the police are always going to keep tabs on Ki Woo and his mother. So if, hypothetically, Ki Woo becomes successful and buys that house, the police will find out, they'll find Ki Tai and arrest him. It's a sad ending, but it's an honest ending. And I've thought about it for a few days, and I found that there's one thing that didn't sit well with me when it came to the end. I find it strange that the father's imprisonment in the house would be the ultimate motivator for Ki Woo to want to be successful and to do it in a legitimate way. It's not the need for Wi-Fi or clean laundry to want to move up. It's because his fugitive father is most likely going to be stuck in a house for the rest of his life. I don't know. I just felt like the family had unrealistic expectations, for the most part. Best line and worst line. When the Kim family is displaced due to the flood and sleeping at the gym, Kiwoo is asking about his father's plan and wanting to know the details. His father ultimately says there is no plan. And then he says, If you make a plan... Life never works that way. And for some reason, that line hit me harder than anything else. I mean, I also like the comments the family made about rich people being nice and not having any worries because money makes that happen. But there's something more meaningful with the other line. You try hard to set out a goal and try to work for a future that you want. But in life, there are a lot of external influences that could derail even the most well-executed plans. And I think it's a benefit to us if we keep that in mind when things go wrong and the unexpected happens. Now for the worst line, Kiwu says a line a couple of times. He says, that's metaphorical. And I think he uses the word metaphorical incorrectly. The first time he says it, it's when Min gives the family a scholar stone that's supposed to bring them luck. The stone will serve as a metaphor later in the movie, but I don't think Kiwu was thinking about that when he says it. Another time, it's when the family is eating at a buffet with a bunch of drivers, and they're talking about Yoon potentially losing his job. Where's the metaphor in that? 
It's more coincidence than anything else. It could just be a bad translation. I found a copy of the screenplay and Kiwu actually says it's symbolic, not metaphorical. But the best explanation I could find to justify the use of the word metaphorical is that Bong Joon-ho wanted to mess with the Korean audience. He knew that by saying that something like a rock is metaphorical, then they would try to figure out immediately what it represents. And then they would be surprised when they discovered the true significance of the rock. True facts about Parasite. I've got a lot to say about true facts. Most everything, including the park house, was constructed on a large set that doubled as a water tower. Bong drew sketches of the park house to be built, and an architect found that the house could not be structurally sound if designed this way. He was actually a little insulting when he gave his reaction. It sounds like the house could not be built in the way that Bong wanted. The exterior of the second floor was CG, and the interior of the second floor and the basement were built and shot on a separate set. At the birthday party, there's a giant container of something in the kitchen with the Kirkland brand logo on it. And at first I thought, did the script supervisor screw up? Turns out they didn't. If you're not familiar with Kirkland, that's the signature brand of Costco. Costco is huge in South Korea, but I don't know if super rich people shop at Costco. They wouldn't need to, that's for sure. According to editor Jin Mo Yang, he edited Parasite in Final Cut Pro 7 on a computer that hadn't had a software update since 2014. To put it in context, the most updated version of Final Cut Pro is 10, and Apple no longer supports version 7. That's like someone still using Microsoft Office 2010. That's like me using Final Draft 8 right now, while Final Draft just released version 12 last month. So what did Jinmo Yang get out of using outdated software on an outdated computer? An Oscar nomination. Let's talk about Ramdon. The name of the dish is Japaguri, but there is no proper English translation of the name. So the translator for the film, Darcy Packett, created the name Ramdon after the two noodles found in the dish. After watching the movie, I wondered if there was a binging with Babish episode that featured Ramdon. I mean, there had to be. That's his thing, recreating foods from pop culture. So I went on YouTube, and sure enough, there was an episode on Ramdon. And I liked his observation on putting Hanu on the noodles. He compares it to putting shaved truffles on a Big Mac. Completely unnecessary. That's not the only YouTube video on Ramdon. There are countless others that have featured the dish. And I'll be honest, it looks delicious and I would be one of those people that jumps on the bandwagon and tries to make it myself. It shouldn't be hard to get the ingredients. There's a huge Asian market not far from where I live, but obviously I wouldn't be topping it with prime beef. Maybe a nice sirloin or a ribeye. The places where Parasite was filmed have attracted lots of tourists. And there's some irony to that because you have people making money off of a film that highlights wealth inequality. Low-income residents are being exploited when outsiders come in and check out their neighborhood and won't do anything to address the bigger issue. Therefore, the local government in Seoul has promised to provide funding to help those lower-income communities that inspired the making of Parasite. The song I was telling you about, A Glass of Soju, the original title of that song was 564 Years. If Kiwu wanted to buy the house to free his father, it would take 564 years. 
That's if he earns a living wage, I'm assuming, which is most likely his maximum earning potential. Suspender disbelief. At one point, the maid is tied up and has a piece of cloth wrapped around her mouth. And the next time she shows up, she's still tied up, but she has nothing covering her mouth. Not sure how she got rid of it. The Kim family returns to their home during a flood, and they are soaked from head to toe. But the next day, their cell phones are fully functional. Maybe I shouldn't ask how they kept them dry. When Kiwu is getting arrested at the hospital, a detective is reading him his right to remain silent and right to counsel. And the detective asks if he should repeat them, and he says, y you know, the Miranda thing. The Miranda warning is, of course, an American term. You can look up why it's called Miranda. There is something similar in South Korea, but they wouldn't call it the Miranda thing. It's called the Criminal Procedure Act. And over a hundred countries have some kind of procedure similar to the Miranda warning, but they call it something else. I think that line was added to the American subtitles just so us dumb Americans know what's going on. I want to talk about Ramdon one more time. I don't know if it can be quickly made in eight minutes, but my problem was that the mother, Yangkyo, ate the dish and didn't leave any for her daughter who may have wanted some. That dish has to be at least two servings because you're using noodles from two different packages. There's no way she could have eaten that herself unless she's a human garbage disposal. Could this be remade or could there be a sequel to this movie? It's possible that you could do a remake, but it would have to be done in an entirely different country. Some of those themes are very similar in most other places. And I don't think doing a sequel will be very compelling. But I did find out that they are doing a limited TV series. Bong Joon-ho and Adam McKay are developing this show for HBO. And from what I understand, it's not going to be a remake or a sequel, but a show that is set in the same universe and possibly set at the same time as the film. I'm a little confused, though, because the show is supposed to expand on some of the events that occur in the film, yet there are rumors that people like Mark Ruffalo and Tilda Swinton are going to star in the show. It's still a little early, so we'll see what happens. All right, we are coming to the end, folks. I gotta say, this movie was fantastic. I really liked it. Very stylized, very engaging, and very funny. Don't forget, this is a comedy. I know we focused on very serious moments and themes. I didn't even get to go into all the symbolism and filmmaking influences that are present in Parasite. But yeah, to be both entertaining and thought-provoking is very difficult to do. And Bong Joon-ho nailed it. And one last thing I want to mention. I sort of got Get Out vibes when watching this. For one, people going in to watch these films didn't even know what they were about. As of Friday when I watched this, I still had no idea what the movie was about. People just hear from word of mouth that these movies are great, and they should be checked out, and they turn out not to be disappointed at the end. Second, there's subtle discrimination in both films. These characters are not in your face and giving the cliché arguments. All of these wealthy people are clever. They pretend to be nice, but their kindness emphasizes their racism and classism. And third, you have the twist endings. You get one strong reaction, immediately followed by another strong reaction. I just wanted to share that last little bit with you. You can reach me at semifilledwriter at gmail.com 
My website is semifieldwriter.com. You can find me on Twitch and Instagram at semifieldwriter. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to talk to you again very soon. Take care.